Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Now I'm, I'm hoping to be joined for a brief while from our, by our guest. Let me just check. Uh, Gabriel, are you online? Hi, Cyrus. So happy to be here. Oh, hi. Sorry, Gabriel. We we've covered a lot of the sort of practical issues that I was going to ask you about the uh, the um, new health regulations. I would really like to just look at the 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 sort of legal consequences of sort of transfer very sneakily transferring the state of emergency lockdown regulations to the National Health Act, and which allows essentially the minister to, I suppose, promulgate law virtually um, as he deems fit. Yeah, I think that's right. So technically, state of disaster, but. Uh, I think the powers that the Kochta minister assumed in the state of disaster really were emergency powers as the mm. constitution envisages it. And those emergency powers have now passed like the flame of Olympus from one hand to the next, from Kochta minister and Kosozana Dlamini Zuma to uh, health minister Joe Partler. And the, the main consequence of the there are two main consequences of what happened last week the one is that the the regulations that had been tabled by the health department and had been considered and had been read by uh, us by you know think tanks and legal teams around the country and by political parties and formal notes of of complaint had been submitted those have been shelved until july 5th so basically it's like you can complain but that's all going to happen on the side in a very protected way that's going to have the least possible consequence. So in a way, I would say the public participation process has been hijacked. Mm. So that's the one consequence because they put in the same effective regulations but under different wording mm. with no public consultation on May 4th. They just, they just put it out there. Mm -hmm. The other effect of it uh, is that because it's been decoupled – from the state of disaster and because of the way the regulations are worded this is really this is this is really indefinite um mm. i think calling it forever is a stretch in the sense that at some stage or another south africans are going to get not just fed up in a way that means they don't comply because they're going to be always going to be some places where compliance really can be forced by the government. It's going to be at big stadiums, at big musical events, at the largest art exhibitions, at the at the largest business centers and shopping malls, um, you know, where you've got very stable, large businesses. It's very easy for the government to force compliance. Mm. So there's going to, you know, lots and lots of South Africans will continue to not comply here and there. But in terms of those big businesses, I think there is going to come a time when when people push back mm -hmm. so it's not forever but the way it's written it's forever until people until people push back uh, as i as i understand from uh, essentially from what you're saying from what i've read about it it base it basically says as long as there's some level of, of infection whether it be flu or tb or a range of other things uh, measles yeah. running running through a country in, running through the country in some way or another these measures will be in place. Now, we have lived for millennia until about yesterday with, <laughs> the, with the fact that 
viruses come and go all the time. TB is present literally all the time. It's a difficult disease to treat. I mean, what essentially they're trying to do is, is it sounds like, and maybe I'm overstating it, that they're trying to get the public to manage the health system for them. I think that's part of it. Look, here's another part of it. So last week there was an interesting ding-dong between Nicholas Crisp, Dr. Nicholas Crisp, mm-hmm. who is the Deputy Director General of the Department of Health and has sort of taken up the baton from Barry Shub and Zoelium Kizer to be a major spokesperson for the forever lockdown. And on the other hand, you had Professor Shabir Mahdi. Mm. So uh, Professor Mahdi was in charge of the study that found 80% of people in Gauteng had COVID-19 before Omicron. Mm. 80% of adults above 50 years old. So, I mean, so after Omicron, which has the steepest spike, the numbers he's talking about on are nine out of 10, every, nine out of every 10 South Africans have been infected. Uh, this is this is the best estimate. On the other hand, and, and so he looks back on the last two years and he says, just all these regulations really failed to stop the spread of COVID-19. Mm. It would have been much better if we could have slowed down the spread. Israel is a really good example. Slow down the spread, get everyone vaccinated. That's a good way to manage deaths. Relative to how young our population is, we've actually had some of the worst deaths in the world. Mm. And economically, we've had the worst possible consequences. Mm. And just in, and we've had the fastest viral disease spread in terms of COVID-19 of any country I can find. So it's like we've done the worst on all all measures. Mm. By contrast, Nicholas Crisp looks back and he says, you know, how I, you know how I can tell the masks worked? Because so few people got COVID-19. <laughs> so I think part of what's going on is that, is that if the government can force us to continue to wear these symbols and to continue forcing businesses to have 50% capacity limitations, the more the government can be seen to be doing as we exit the pandemic and enter the pan- the endemic phase, mm. where this becomes, as Shabir Mahdi was saying, you know, we've got similar estimates in South Africa to the UK, and the mm. UK has found that COVID's less deadly than flu now. Not before, mm. but now, because mm. of the vaccinations, because of recoveries, because of the immune boosts that people have gotten, either the smart way or, or the tough way. But because we're in the situation we're in, it really just is so, it's already happened with Omicron, it's likely to happen again this winter. Things are not going to be as bad as they were in 2020 and 2021. And if the government can keep forcing some kind of symbolic compliance, then it's going to claim that it's the reason things aren't so bad. And I think people kind of remember the last thing at the party more than the rest of the party. Mm. So if the last wave is a is a nice relatively nice wave people are going to die but compared to the other ones much much more benign if the last wave is a, a, a relatively benign wave and it's under government control it's going to be much easier to say you know why it all worked out okay because the government was in charge and never mind about the two million jobs that were lost and never mind about the hundred thousand south africans that died and never mind about us spreading the disease so fast we probably incubated omicron and beta never mind about all that just remember that last wave where we you know some people were saying don't worry about it and we said you got to keep wearing the masks you got to keep limiting businesses you've got to keep limiting how people live their lives and it turned out okay that's because we did it in the same way that nicholas crisp is saying 
the reason nine out of ten, I mean, nine out of ten South Africans have had it, he considers that a success. <laughs> Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Gabriel, we only have a few minutes left on the show, and I just I just thought I wanted to change tack quickly and get your opinion on the z- zealous attempt by the Chinese authorities to achieve zero zero COVID for over one billion people. Given and and the the, the stories coming out of the Shanghai and Beijing about the nature of the lockdowns are pretty much horrendous. Yeah, I mean. I will give an unsatisfying answer to this. I think I think what most freedom-loving people want to hear is that China is taking this hyper-authoritarian route and that it's doomed to fail. Because it's nice to think that, you know, freedom's the right answer on principle and in practice in every way. It's always better. I'm just not sure that it's the case. I think that if you try and lock down the way South Africa did with, you know, the police minister running up and down the beach <laughs> looking for surfers and uh, diktats being put about when you're allowed to walk your dog and how far you can walk your dog and whether you're allowed to walk your dog inside the complex or outside the complex and open-toed shoes and cigarette bands and whether you can buy the whole chicken from the Woolworths or only the half chicken and what counts as a hot food delivery and whatnot, that is just doomed to have no real effect on, on, on viral spread. If anything, it might have perverse effects. You know, when you shut down businesses uh, where people might be in relatively well-ventilated and sanitized environments and they, and they get stuck in pretty high-density, low-tech uh, residential, just staying at home environments, that, that might actually be worse for, for disease spread. But China's a different kettle of fish. The Chinese Communist Party is ruthlessly efficient. Yes, there's lots of corruption, but you know they've managed to build an ESCOM every couple of months. They've managed to build you know the entire South African highway network's worth of roads every couple of weeks. And as far as I can tell, in Shanghai, they have managed to turn the corner. It's very difficult to trust the Chinese numbers. Mm. But it is possible that the, that by completely, literally welding people into their homes and feeding people like prisoners through through little slots in the door, it does seem possible that you can curtail the virus. Zero COVID is ridiculous because there'll just be another mutation and it'll come around at another stage. And you know what? At some stage, it won't be COVID. It'll be the flu uh, or uh, influenza A or B, a rhinovirus. It'll be some other respiratory pathogen that'll be as deadly as as things have gotten for a vaccinated population. And they won't be able to stop it completely. But I do. But my point is just that they might be winning. I just don't think it's a battle worth winning, even if they do win. And that's a big thing. Of course. Um, sorry to pull you up there, uh, Gabriel. Um, interesting take, uh, not one I've, I've generally heard. Uh, but thank you very much for coming on. A little, uh, a little at an unusual time, but I think I got most of what I wanted out of you. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, thanks very much for that. And uh, we've created a petition for people to sign on the IRR.org.za website. Uh, is it still live and running? 
it's live and running. In fact, I just got news from our tech team yesterday that uh, if, if more people are signing up than ever before, the campaign is called Free Your Face. Through that campaign, we have a series of lawyers. Our attorneys have been writing probing letters, drawing right. evidence out of the Department of Health, the Presidency, the Department of Justice and Correctional Services. We're petitioning the President. We're petitioning the Department of Health. We've submitted uh, our formal opposition to the health regs as they are, as well as the previous disaster management regs. So, um, uh, yeah, we're generally uh, just trying to free everyone uh, up. Free your uh, face. Fr uh, free your face. Thank you, Gabriel, and thank you, listeners, for for joining me on this here lovely uh, Tuesday morning, and I hope to see you same time next week. <laughs>